Amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, So, I'm sure many of us have had experiences, if not perceptions, of churches where maybe you grew up in one or you've just visited some where you felt as though like there was this tension in the church, where it, it was just like full of politics and just gossip and just you know, a really a poor depiction of what, of what God wants the church to actually be. And in fact, right, I, I, actually I'd like to apologize on behalf if that's been your experience. I hope that they didn't misrepresent God to you. I hope we haven't offended you already in any way. Uh, but, but I know that sometimes that's just the way things seem to be, or it's just because once you get people involved, that sort of thing happens. And in fact, even Jesus in his church or the, amongst his 12 disciples, there was all sorts of tensions that were there where some of his disciples were actually uh, political rebels and zealots and they would actually try to overthrow the government where a couple other guys, uh, Matthew specifically in his church, was a tax collector that was working for the very government they were trying to overthrow. And both these people are in the same, in the same church. They're both hanging out with Jesus. All right, at one time, uh, one of his church leaders actually assaulted a member in the community with a weapon where they cut off the ear of this dude, and Jesus fortunately goes and heals that guy's ear and then gets arrested and put to death by them. But nonetheless, that sort of thing happened. He had another guy in his church who was actually stealing from Jesus all the time, and Jesus even knew about it, right? And, and so... so Church, once you have multiple people involved, it can get complicated, right? If we're focused on our own interests, our own selfishness, we can very easily end up with a community that has tension, right? And one of the great things I'm super happy about, by the way, is that that I really honestly feel does not describe our church here. Uh, we've just been so blessed. We've got a community of people where we're just so loving, so kind, and so sharing that I really don't feel that describes us in any capacity. I think some of that's because we as a church stay focused on the mission that God has us here for, right? I mean, if you think about it, like we're focused about the Great Commission, going out and sharing God's love with other people, being able to, to tell them about what Jesus did for them, Right, not only in our own community, but we're we're interested in even planting other churches. We've got one coming up in Brattleboro next month. We've also got another one coming up in Keene next year. We're we're interested in accomplishing what Jesus sent us here to accomplish. And because we stay on mission, we're all on the same team, we're less likely to, to focus on whatever little squabbles or issues might come up. Right? So so that, that is what God wants in the church, the church that is able to serve together, work together, and be able to love one another. And if you haven't yet connected to one of our missional communities, I really encourage it because it is an awesome example of what God intends the church to be. Our missional communities are essentially, it's just a dinner at someone's house where people are able to gather once every couple of weeks, we'll have discussion We'll encourage one another. We'll get to know one another. And we'll actually, you'll even see people pray for one another when they're in time of need. And it's a beautiful example of what the church is meant to be. And that's where our main objective is actually accomplished, is at our missional community. So I really encourage you to go check one out. Or if you're interested in maybe even hosting one in in your house, 
right? If we don't have one running in your town right now, send me an email, brian at valleytownchurch.com, and we'd love to, to set you up. Even if you're not comfortable, like, I don't even know much about Jesus, I just know he's awesome, right? We'll have someone else, like, do all the talking and facilitating the discussion. You don't have to worry about it. You can just, like, hey, come on and hang out. I've got a table in the kitchen. That's all that's needed, right? So, so check those out. They're really cool. But, but when we think about what love should look like in the church, oftentimes we think about the lack that other people are showing love, that, that we think of other people and what they should be doing, what they should be saying, how they should be responding, and we think about other people, right? And it's actually easy in our mind, like, if they would just start doing this, it would be, right, I don't understand what the problem is, like, they just need to be more loving, right? Uh, but when we then think about ourselves in the love that we are required to give and the sacrifices that takes of us, now it seems like a hard thing to do, right? It seems much more difficult for us to be able to show that love. I think part of that reason is that we think we are extremely lovable and deserving of other people's love, right? You know, so it's like, yeah, they shouldn't have any, like, any issue at all loving me. Like, I'm, I'm pretty amazing. I don't understand what the problem is, right? But I have a really hard time loving them because, please, right? But... But what we don't realize is that, biblically speaking, we are actually a very unlovable group of people, all of us, individually. Uh, And we're also very undeserving as a people, and God yet still bestows his love on us. He pursues us when we run from him, when we offend him. He still comes after, after us and demonstrates his love to us. In fact, uh, one of the, by the way, if you're new here, I... I've got like your sermon notes and then I've got like my bonus content. This is all like homework essentially. You don't have to do it. You're not graded. But if you want to dig deeper, uh, one of the stories that I've got for you to check out is about this guy Hosea and Gomer. And God speaks to Hosea. Hosea is a prophet. And he tells him to, to live his life out in a way where his life is depicting God's love for the world. And he actually tells Hosea to go out and marry a prostitute. And he does that, and the lady is still in prostitution, and he still pursues this woman and demonstrates his love towards her. And in that story, we actually are in the role of Gomer, the person who's rebellious, the person who's unfaithful to God, yet he still pursues us and loves us anyway. Let's see, so we're talking about love today. If you're interested in a Bible, just raise your hand, and Joshua here will give you one. It's our gift to you. You can keep it, take it home. Uh, and yet, God, God commands us to, to love one another. Our desire, our goal as a church is to be a loving community, a community that's welcoming to all people, some, a, a group of people that's interested in serving and reaching our valley here. That's, that's what our goal is. So I apologize, like I said, if, if your experience has been contrary to that. And one of the ways we can do that is by focusing on the mission that God has for us. So we're in, we're in Colossians chapter 3 today. I think it's on about page 866 if you have one of the Valleytown ESV Bibles, uh, English Standard Version. And Colossians 3.14, I've got it up on the screen here as well. It says, above all these put on love. Now, a few weeks ago I started this passage And Paul was using an analogy describing that the characteristics, the behaviors, the attitudes that we as followers of Jesus should have are like putting on clothing, 
All right? So he said, you know, put on all of these behaviors earlier in chapter 3. But he says this, kind of concluding that thought in 3.14, above all of these, put on love. So the primary garment that we should be wearing, the, the main thing that should be obvious and recognizable to the world around us is the way we love. Right? For, for you ladies, the, the main article of clothing that brings your whole outfit together is love. That's what he's talking about here, right? So that's, that's what we should have, is love. Or, or if we were superheroes, the main thing about our costume that would be apparent to everyone else, like that's what that person is, that's what they represent, I'm not going to confuse them with a bird or a plane, they are walking in love, they are wearing that love costume, right? That's what Paul is telling us we need to be wearing, and Jesus actually taught a lot about love, right? He, t- he talked about it a lot. And I realize there's some potential confusion with the word. I mean, we all have different perceptions about what we mean by love, but I'll try to narrow that down for you a little bit. But the night before Jesus died, the night that he was betrayed, he had what's called the Last Supper. You might have seen some paintings of that before, right? And I don't think they all ate on the same side of the table. They probably were on both sides, but they had to pose for the picture, I imagine. And in John 13, Jesus is spending this time, it's his last night with his disciples, right? And he's eating this meal, not unlike our missional community, and, and he gives them a commandment, and this is like super important, right? Like he knows he's going to die the next day, and this is what he has to tell them. He says, a, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And then he gives us a descriptor. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So our example our role model, the, the thing that we're shooting for, our goal is to love like Jesus loved. Our desire is to love as he loved us. And it's in that love that the world will know that we are his disciples. They'll know that he's the one we're serving because we're depicting and portraying his kind of love. And what I want to point out to you is that in order to love like Jesus loved, we're going to have to know how he lived. And so I actually, I really encourage you to check out some of the Gospels. Now, the Bible's broken up into like Old Testament, New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are biographies about the life of Jesus. All right? So if you want to figure out how he lived, how he loved, that's where you could look. All right? And a couple of them are actually written by people who were there. So Matthew, the first Gospel you'll see, is is written by Matthew, that tax collector guy I was telling you about. Right? And so he's just an eyewitness, so he's just, he writes down all of the stuff that Jesus said and did and just compiles that all into a book for us. Or, or the Gospel of John is about 21 chapters, and by the way, biblically a chapter, don't be like intimidated by that, uh, that's like less than a page, just so you know. It's not like huge long things. So 21 chapters, about 21 pages, it's not a lot. Uh, so John writes down, and he's an eyewitness to what Jesus did. And then the other two Gospels, Mark is written by uh, this guy, Mark, who was a friend of Peter. P- 
Peter, one of the disciples and apostles of Jesus. So he hears everything. Peter accounts the whole story about how Jesus lived, what he did, and Mark writes it down. So we have that depiction as well. And then I think the, one of the cool stories is, is Luke, which is about 24 chapters. And Luke was like the Indiana Jones of the Bible, where he was actually employed to go out and gather all of the evidence and write it down for us. So he actually was employed by someone. They funded him to go out and interview everyone that was there to go talk to Mary, to go talk to to whoever he could to try to gather this information to figure out, all right, what actually happened here? Because they knew that whatever event had occurred was so pivotal in human history that it had to be documented. All right, so that's what the Gospels are. They're biographies about the life of Jesus. So I really encourage that you, you check some of those out because chances are, You've had some misrepresentations of what Jesus is about and what he says from other people. People are like, oh yeah, Jesus is all for that. Like, you know, and that's not necessarily the case. You know, people have a lot of perceptions of of what he represented. But go check it out for yourself. So it'll answer a lot of questions, but also I actually anticipate it'll raise a lot of questions as well. And that's good. Because then we can have conversation, discussion about that. Because you'll probably be like, why did Jesus do that? That's interesting. You know, or why did he say that? What does this mean? Uh, so, so really, I encourage you to check that out because that's the only way we can love as Jesus loved is if we know how he loved. So that's, that's part one. So, and also the crazy thing about when he gave that commandment, right? He says, to love as I have loved you. He said that moments after washing his disciples' feet. Okay, so they're all hanging out in this house, they're about to have dinner, and he personally goes around and washes their feet. So that's the way Jesus loves. That's how Jesus serves, where he is a servant leader, all right, and that's what he calls the leaders of his church to be as well, as servants of all people. And that's how Jesus lived, where he was willing to humble himself to serve the people that he loved. And in fact, some of his disciples were almost repulsed by the fact of like, no, you're, my, you're our master and teacher. Like, you can't wash my feet. And he said, no, like, if you're going to have any part of me, if you're going to have anything to do with me, you're going to let me wash your feet. And so that's the kind of leader that Jesus was because he loved. So let's see, back to Colossians 3.14, the verse finishes. So above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So as far as the garment analogy, right? Like I said, it's the one piece of your clothing that ties your whole outfit together. It's the accessory. It's whatever it is that's just like, yeah, like this, this pulls the whole outfit together, right? Or, or notice it says that it, it, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. I think love is like the duct tape of Christianity. It keeps us sticking together. It solves our problems. And and notice it says perfect harmony. There's no such thing as perfect harmony. I mean, even by myself, I get in arguments with myself where my flesh desires one thing, my mind and my heart desires something else, right? But when you get two people, even in a marriage, there's no such thing as perfect harmony, right? Because we're I mean, it's a two sinful people that just need to learn to walk in forgiveness towards one another, learn to walk in love. So especially when you get a, a church, a, a body of believers together, there's going to be issues, there's going to be tensions, there's going to be things that cause us to have strife, just things come up. And, and love is going to be the thing that keeps us together and allows us to literally walk in perfect harmony. 
So that's the ideal. When we're able to set aside ourselves, put aside selfishness, and literally walk in love towards one another, we'll have that perfect harmony. So love causes us to stick together. Now, Jesus, also at the Last Supper, right, because he's like hanging out, having dinner, like at our, like at our missional communities, right? And, and he's talking, he, he continues with this, and he's teaching them about love. And it turns out that he wants us to not only be one with him, all right, we've talked previously from Colossians about how we are one in Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, that, that we've got this oneness with Christ as a result of what he's done for us. But he actually wants us to be one with one another. And he prays this. I don't know if you realize this. Jesus actually specifically prayed for you. I think that's kind of like a crazy thought. He, he specifically prayed for you and me the night before he died. In John 17, verses 20 and 21, This is what he's praying. I do not ask for these only, referring to the 12 disciples with him, but also for those who will believe in my, believe in me through their word, right? So Jesus is praying for us, the people who believe in him as a result of the word that his disciples shared about him. And this is actually essentially prophetic at this point, because really these 12 guys, when Jesus died, they could have just been like, well, our leader's dead, like, now what do we do? And just like Christianity would have just fizzled out, and that would have been it. But Jesus knew and prayed for the fact that their word would spread, that people would hear about the events that took place, and that we would eventually believe. And that's why we're here today, right? So their obedience to tell other people about Jesus is why we believe right now. And Jesus is praying for us, and this is what he says in verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, so love for one another is how people know whose disciple we are. And the oneness we have with one another is how people know that Jesus was sent, right? So it's a complete example and proclamation of the good news that, that Jesus died for us. That, that, that's our example to the world. It's not just our words and our actions, but how we love and how we treat one another. So, but check this out. He said that they may all be one. So Jesus didn't die just so that we all individually could have relationship with him right? That's, that wasn't his only goal. He wanted us to also have relationship with one another. It wasn't his desire that we would all just get saved and then like wander off into the woods and be a hermit and just like, I'm going to have time with God and I'm never going to talk to anyone else. That wasn't his desire. That is not his design for the church because he's the one that founded the church, the idea of this worldwide body of believers, so, and, and the oneness that Jesus and the Father has is the same oneness that he wants us to also have. That's what he prayed for. And God answers Jesus' prayer, by the way. Uh, in fact, Paul, writing letters to the churches, right? We're reading Colossians right now, which is a letter that he wrote to a church. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians, he writes to this other church. And right, he opens the letters like, hey, this is Paul, how you guys doing, whatever. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, this is what he says. To the church of God that is in Corinth, 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified just means that God's righteousness has been given to us. It's not something we've earned, right? So salvation isn't earned by good works. It's, it's granted to us. So sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, right? So the idea is that we are not called to be saints or sanctified individually. He intended us to be together. That was his desire. And it says, with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So we are destined, we are designed as followers of Jesus to be together. We are called to be saints together. And in fact, if, if you as a Christian are trying to live your life apart from the rest of the body of believers, wherever that might be, whatever your home church might be, that's not what God called you to. Because we were called to be saints together. And that's what his desire and design is for the church. And, and not notice this, it says that the believers are in every place wherever they might call upon the name of the Lord. So our church family isn't just who's here at second gathering. It's not including just the people at first gathering. It's not including just the people that meet in this building. There's other churches in town where people of God can meet. And, and it's not just this community. Right? In fact, if it wasn't for the church down in Georgia that knew that someday people in this place would call upon the name of the Lord, right? it's that church that funded and sent people to get this stuff started. And that's why we desire to see Brattleboro get that same opportunity. It's another place where they can, too, call upon the name of the Lord. And that's why we act out on that mission. We desire to let them have that same opportunity, and that's also why we do that with Keene. But not only that, I want to point out that any place people call upon the name of the Lord, those people are part of our family that we are called to be saints together with. So what that means is if if there's a believer in India or a church planter in India that's just started a church, they're part of our family. And we have a share, we have an investment and a desire to see them be successful. All right, or if there's an orphanage in Haiti you can connect with those people just as much as though you were family, and, and God wants us to do that. We are called to be saints together with those people, all right? Or, or the small home churches that meet in China, where some of those, it's illegal for them to meet. They actually have to meet underground, where they're just not underground, but you know what I'm saying. Maybe literally underground in some cases, though, who knows? Uh, but the idea is that those people are also one with us. In fact, I had an opportunity a while ago, i randomly became friends with this guy out in Pakistan on Facebook, and he's an evangelist to his own community. He's also from Pakistan, and we're able to write back and forth and encourage one another, and he is also one of the people of whom I'm one with, right? So he's all part, we're all part of the body that Jesus wants us to be a part of, and we can encourage one another and have concern and just care for those people. So we shouldn't just be so small-minded that we're only thinking about like, how can I make my church more comfortable for me, right? Like we desire to make this a place where we can reach out to other people, make them feel welcome to come here, and that we can reach beyond the threshold of our valley to the rest, to the rest of the world. So, so that's why we're passionate about these things. And, and I really encourage you, try to find ways to connect with believers around the world. We've got an awesome opportunity with the internet. Uh, you know, 
pray about, God, should I help support, you know, an orphan in Africa? You know, if, if you're looking for a mission to help out within Haiti, I've, I know friends down there that serve in a mission. This, uh, this kid, Luke, who comes to our church, he just was on a missions trip down in Haiti last week. He just got back. So, like, do some research. Find some ways to connect and serve the greater body of Christ because hopefully we as American Christians don't give ourselves this perception or image of, like, just, like, kind of hoarding our things to ourselves and, like, I'm going to have my, you know, coffee and just sit in church and Sunday's all I ever give and, and then I'm gone. Like, we want to connect with the rest of the world, the people who are probably in a less comfortable place than we are. And, and when, you, when you try to find ways to connect with people, it's awesome to be able to find ways to, to feed them and clothe them and give them education and give them health care. Those are all valuable and valid concerns and things that Jesus wants us to do. But our primary concern in reaching them is meeting the primary need that all of mankind has, and that is Jesus, the fact that we all need a Savior. So if you do some research and find an organization, make sure that they're also sharing with them the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for them, because it would be a shame, right? It'd be a shame if I just set someone up and be like, hey, I'll pay for your meals, I'll get you educated, I'll build a school, right? I'll, I'll build a little clinic so you can have a hospital and health care. And then if in, you know, 40, 60 years that person just dies and then never knew the hope, the call that God had for them, because I just failed to tell them, right? I mean, that's the main mission. That's the thing that moves us with compassion is, is telling people about how much God loves them. So, so I tried to come up with a list of some things of, of what does love look like in the church. And uh, I've got a list there. I've got, I think, six things that all start with the letter S because I, I heard that's what preachers do. They try to come up with things that start with one letter so then we remember them, I think. And actually, it's, uh, I apologize if I've ever forgotten any of your names, but I do that sometimes where I'll only remember someone's name by first initial, and that system breaks down really quickly because there's multiple names with the same first initial. It just doesn't work. And actually, even as a teacher, I used to like remember people's names by like, all right, Brianna, orange shirt. And then the next day, she's not wearing the orange shirt. Like, that messes up my system. That also breaks down. So I'm I'm sorry if I ever forget your name. I'm, I'm getting there, though. But here are some things that start with S. So even if we don't remember the whole list, you'll remember the S part. And then you'll think of S-sounding words. And then eventually probably remember a handful of them. And that's good enough. So, so what does love look like in the church? The first one is sticking. Love causes us to stick together like the duct tape that I was talking about, right? It causes us to be one with one another. The next one is that love causes us to serve, or it causes serving, right? Jesus served his church. He served the people in the region that he was called to, and we are called to serve, yes, even one another, all right? So we're called to serve like Jesus served us. This next one's a tough one. We'll spend some more time on this in the next, I think within the next month, I'll be preaching a sermon, hitting some of this stuff, but love causes us to submit, or love causes submitting, all right, and that's, that's a tough one. That's a heavy one. But, but this is the idea that in Ephesians 5.21, the Bible says that we are to submit one to another. Okay, so it's, it's a two-way street. And this is the idea that if, if I've got an issue in my life 
If I've got, you know, some sin in my life, I'd hope that one of you guys loving me, caring for me in a gentle way would be able to say, Brian, like that was really harsh the way you just spoke to that person. Or, or, or I think that your sin is hurting your family in this way. Right? Or, or I think the way you're acting is misrepresenting Christ to our town. We don't want you to do that. Like, and I'm going to, can I pray for you? Right? So, so that then requires me to submit to not just them, but to the word of God confirming what they're saying. And like, they're right. Like, Holy Spirit, help me. Like, work on my heart. Right? So, so don't just think like, oh, Brian's the pastor. We can't confront him. But no, we're supposed to submit one to another And that's the sort of thing that as a body of believers, we care for one another, right? If there's an open wound in the body, hopefully someone's going to take care of it and not just ignore it, right? So, so love causes us to submit one to another. The next one is sharing. Love causes sharing. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, it talks about the early church, right? This is right after Jesus had died, been buried, resurrected, hung out for 40 days, and then he's ascended, but he says, go wait for me in Jerusalem, and and sure enough, the church waits there, and the Holy Spirit shows up, empowers them, that's where the church starts, and in Acts chapter 2, every day, there are thousands of people that are becoming Christians after hearing what he's done in Jerusalem, and people are hearing about the gospel, and, and thousands are coming in. And actually, if you're interested in an awesome sermon on this, I think Ben preached one a while back. In fact, every sermon that has ever been preached at Valleytown is online for free on our website, valleytownchurch.com. So if you want to like check out anything or like find out like, oh, I need to find something on this topic, we might have something there for you. So you could actually find out his sermon on these verses. And what these verses cover is it says that, that the believers, the people that are coming to the church, right? Imagine if a thousand people showed up this week, another 2,000 next week. Like, we'd have a hard time trying to handle all that. Like, we need more coffee. Like, that would be, that'd be tough. Um, but, but what the believers at that time do is they, it says they, they submit to the teaching of the apostles. They, they, they worship God. They serve one another. And in fact, some of them go to the point of selling possessions and property to care for the needs of other believers in the church. And that wherever there was need, they distributed the, the resources to try to take care of those needs. So love caused them to be sharing. And I'm not saying we should go start a commune. In fact, let me say that let's not go start a commune. I'm not looking to do that, all right? Just so you're aware. Uh, but, but we should have care for one another to a degree that we would reach out and try to help out with what resources we do have. It talks about that in Galatians chapter 6, that, that we should learn to try to bear one another's burdens. Or James, who is uh, Jesus' little brother, he writes a letter in the Bible, so it's a short one again, kind of like Colossians. And he writes a letter to the church, and one of the things James, which actually, just an interesting point about James, he ends up becoming a leader in the church, but he didn't believe Jesus was God until after the resurrection. In fact, before that, we see recorded in the Gospels that Jesus' family at one point thought he was crazy, right? They like show up and they're like, let's just sneak Jesus out of this crowd right now. Like, let's, like he's telling people he's God, Right? But James ends up being completely convinced that he becomes a follower of Jesus. And what, I mean, think about that. 
how many people would want to be in a religion where they believed their big brother was God? Like, that doesn't sound like any religion you'd want to be in, right? Like, that sounds terrifying. But, but in fact, James gets to that point, and one of the things James, in compassion and care for the church, he writes this, saying that our faith should lead to action. He says that faith without works is dead. Now, by works, I don't want you to think that we're saved by works, but Ephesians says that we're saved unto good works, that once you become a follower of Jesus, he's got a plan for your life. He's like, listen, I want you to be able to do these things. I'll empower you to do them. I'll equip you to do those things. So we do good. We act in a good way because God is good to us and through us, not because we're trying to earn his favor, because we can't earn his favor any more than he's already demonstrated it. But, but James says this about serving and acting in faith. He says, if another believer comes to you and says, uh, I don't have any food or I don't have a coat and it's going to be cold this winter, don't just tell that believer, I'll pray for you, and then like walk away. Like, like that's not very helpful. Yes, we believe in the power of prayer, but he says that if the power is in your hand to do it, that you give. Like, you give that person a meal, you give that person a coat. Like, act out on your faith. Don't just let your faith be something like, well, I believe Jesus died and rose again, so I'm saved, and I'm not going to help anyone for my whole life, and then I go to heaven, and I'm good. Right? Like, no, no, no. Like, we need to act out on our faith. We're moved with compassion, so it causes us to share with one another. Now, this next thing that love causes in the church is, is suffering, And uh, love causes suffering in this way, um, where you're willing to suffer loss for the sake of the person you love. You're willing to suffer loss for the sake of the person you love. And in fact, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6, where he's writing to a church to correct some issues in the church, which by the way, right, last week we just sent out Ben and Zach, the people who founded this church, and even though Ben doesn't call himself an apostle, He's kind of acting in the ways that an apostle, right, planting multiple churches and doing that. So just so you know, like, I'm submitted to Ben. I told Ben, I was like, listen, you find out, if you hear anything crazy or kooky going on at Valleytown, like, you call me out on it, right? So he's, he's still coaching me every week. He's taking care of things. So don't feel like mom and dad just left and you got left with a babysitter for the rest of your life, all right? We got you covered here. You're good. You're good. So... So Ben would probably write something like Paul would if he heard something wrong going on here. This is what Paul heard was that that believers were having lawsuits with one another and they're fighting and squabbling over land or all sorts of different issues. And he said, listen, listen, listen. We shouldn't have Christians suing one another and going to like the secular courthouse to have that appeal because what does that tell the world about Jesus if we're just all fighting one another? And he says this, that in fact, you should just be willing to suffer loss for the sake of that believer. Like if if you're suing them to pay for the car that they crashed of yours, and they're refusing to pay, and now you're going, like, just, just eat it. Eat the cost of repairing your car. Because it's more important that you show them love, and the way you act towards them demonstrates God's love to everyone around and involved in the situation, than that you get your car fixed. Right? You're willing to suffer loss for the sake of those who you love. All right? So that's what Paul talks about there. So we're willing to suffer. And the last thing I've got for you is that love causes sensitivity. 
All right, love causes us to, to be sensitive or aware of our differences with one another. In fact, Paul puts it this way, that, that we shouldn't cause one another to stumble. He writes about this in two places, uh, in 1 Corinthians 8, as well as to another church, Romans 14. The idea where, right, he had believers where some people would be like, no, I worship God on these days. These are the holy days. And then he had other people in the church that are like, no, I think every day is pretty good to worship God. I worship him every day, right? And he's like, listen, listen, it's not a big deal. You don't need to fight about this. Let each of you be right in your own mind. You can both serve God and just worship God, right? And, and so he's, he's saying this in the sense that sometimes the Bible might be gray in certain areas, but let's not use that as a means to separate ourselves. Or sometimes the Bible is very specific in certain areas, but we might have different liberty in the way God has graced us, right? Where, right, like he talks about another issue in that same passage where some people would eat meat and some people wouldn't. The people who wouldn't would be like, that meat was offered to, you know, pagan idols in the marketplace. I don't want to eat that. And then the other people are like, I prayed over my meal. I said, thank you, Jesus. Like, I don't believe in those idols. I'm serving God. I'm going to eat meat with my family. And, and Paul says, listen, like, don't cause your brother to stumble, right? If they come over your house and you're eating meat, like, don't eat meat. Paul, in fact, said, I'd rather never eat meat again than cause a brother to stumble, right? So, if, if, I mean, like, I don't drink alcohol, but I also don't get offended. I'm not tempted by it if someone else drinks in moderation, you know? But if, if we had a believer here who is struggling with that, and is going through AA and everything, like, it wouldn't be fair for, for someone to exercise their liberty of like, man, I'm going to have some wine with my family tonight, you want to come over? Like, that's not helpful to them anymore. We need to be sensitive to them in a way that we, we don't cause them to stumble. Even though, yes, we are not under the law, and God has given us the liberty to be able to drink in moderation. But out of love, I'm not going to flaunt it, I'm not going to rub their face in it, I'm not going to cause them grief and have a rift in our relationship because of it. Okay, so, so guys, the cool thing is that, that our church is in such an amazing place. I mean, I mean, this community is just such wonderful, wonderful people here, and, and that, I mean, imagine if I had to preach this sermon, and like when we walked in, there was just like so much tension, and there was just like elephant, like there's multiple elephants in the room that like no one's talking about and like it would be so uncomfortable to have to like teach that in that context, which by the way, we looked up what a herd of elephants is called. It's called a parade of elephants. I, we looked it up between the gatherings just so you know. So yeah, if there was a parade of elephants in the room and everyone's like, oh my goodness, oh, like it's so tense, right? I'm glad I don't have to preach the sermon in that context because you guys are just such a loving group of people. And in fact, even when like we covered forgiveness a couple weeks ago, it was awesome the way the Holy Spirit's just worked in people's lives. And I've heard stories from missional communities and stuff of just how you guys allow God to work through you. And that's awesome. Right? So, so that's the really good news is we're not in a place where we necessarily need to hear this sermon a lot. I'm sure there's areas we can all improve on, but what's nice is God teaches us before the test. All right? God equips us before the mission that there will be times when there are going to be disagreements amongst us, where there's going to be some tension, but, but remember this truth. Remember to act out in a way that's loving towards one another. Because it's so important, because the way we love one another portrays whose disciples we are 
and our oneness with one another portrays the fact that God did, in fact, send Jesus. So, so we, get, we get to study before the test, which is good news. And one of the challenges I have for you this week is to read the first epistle of John. Epistle just means letter. That might be confusing because there's four books in the Bible called John. I'm not trying to confuse you. He wrote one of the Gospels, and then he wrote three letters. All right, so there's first John, second John, third John. So I'm, I'm having us look at one of the letters. And uh, John is actually a cool guy, just in terms of the oneness that there is in the body of Christ. We've got Apostle Paul, who I believe uses a vocabulary of around like 30,000 words in all of the books he writes. And then there's, there's the Apostle John, who was a fisherman, and he uses around 800 unique words in his gospel, in his letters, and then also in the book of Revelation. So, so as far as like disparity there, like we're all one in the body of Christ, right? So if you're like PhD person, go read some Paul, right? If, you, if you're a fisherman, go read some John, right? And, and he makes it so plain, so simple, but it's just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's a simplistic truth. It's still a challenge for us to live out and the truth does still set us free. But one of the words John uses all the time is love. So I, I want to encourage you just to read that epistle. It's only five chapters long. It's probably about four pages length in total. And so, so check it out. It's, it's worth checking out. I've got a link there so you can even read it on your phone or a tablet. And uh, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, it says this, And this is his commandment, God the Father is the his there, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he, Jesus, has commanded us. So, so, guys, this is the goal. This is why we're here. This is why we exist, to believe on the name of Jesus. And if you don't know what that means, that basically God is inviting you to relationship. He's done everything he can to reconcile mankind to himself. It's an open invitation. It's like, imagine like Jesus is on his knee, like proposing to you sort of thing. Like that's what he's done and he's invited you into relationship with him, right? He's offered complete forgiveness. And in order to, to believe on his name, that's basically believing that, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, and now I am accounted with his righteousness. I'm looked at, I'm looked at as holy in God's sight, and there's nothing I can do to earn more favor or earn more love with God because he showed it all when he had Jesus die on the cross. So that's what it means to believe in Jesus and just to, to let him be Lord of your life. All right, that means like recognizing, all right, I've made some decisions in my life. A good number of those I probably regret. I'm not really good at leading my life. It's my first time through. I'm going to trust the one that designed life, created the universe, and has a plan for my life. I'm going to let him make the call, right? So I let him, him decide for me. So that's what that means. And then obviously, we need to love one another. That's the goal, and it's, it's an important goal, so let us continue in that. So, in response to this, I want to once again invite you and encourage you, check out a missional community, because God didn't call us to be alone as believers. He called us to be saints together. He called us to be saints together. So, we need to be with one another. Just as much as God wants us to be with him, he wants us to be with one another. And that's really where the action happens. That's where we live on mission. And if you want to host a missional community, like I said, sign up. We'd love to, we'd love to do that. And uh, so, as a result of God's love towards us, 
we eventually start caring about the things that God cares about. And that's why here you'll see that we are passionate about telling other people about the love that God has for them. We're passionate about planting new churches and building new communities and being able to do that and being involved in worldwide outreach as well and not just within this region. Let's see the worship team. You guys can come up. And so guys, love the believers, love people, live with believers. Don't just live your life alone because God has not called you to that. Let's see, at the end, uh, so we're going to sing a couple songs. We call this worship because God is worthy of our praise, right? He's powerful, he's loving, and, and he deserves it. So, so sing along, pray to God, seek him. At the end of the two songs, we'll, I got some clipboards to pass around to sign up for the barbecue picnic thing and the baptisms, uh, and we'll also have an offering. So if, if you're just someone who's like, I don't even believe in Jesus. I'm just checking this out. That's fine. Don't feel like you ever need to give into the offering. In fact, we've got generous people who give so that people who are seeking can come for free perpetually if they want to, right? So don't feel obligated in any capacity. So that'll come around. And if you want, uh, there's connect cards on the back of the seats. If you filled one of those out, if you're visiting, you want some information, find out what's going on here. If you have a prayer request, right? If you want to be baptized, you can write that stuff down. But let's, uh, let's worship God, guys. So stand, if you stand, will. Please.